Good morning, lovely guys and gals, and welcome to the Bird of Life podcast. Christ is risen, truly he is risen. Welcome back guys and gals. Today, on today's podcast, after we've celebrated the Feast of the Resurrection, the glorious Feast of the Resurrection, and our current situations, which may have not been particularly glorious, we are back on the podcast and we're going to begin a journey throughout the entire liturgy. We're going to begin with the offering of the Lamb and continue from there on. We have maybe four or five weeks or so, something like that, to discuss the offering of the Lamb. I'm going to take it step by step and break it up so we can really see the right that we have and see what we're praying and, and try to understand where it comes from and, and where these things begin and where they end ultimately in Christ. So in order to first understand the offering of the Lamb, we must first understand that it had a different place in the initial arrangement of the church. As we mentioned earlier in a, in a previous episode talking about the general skeleton of the rites of the Coptic Church, we know that the offering of the Lamb used to be after after the Liturgy of the Word, which means that the readings and everything, uh, the Gospel, the Acts, the, the Catholic Epistle, the Pauline Epistle, all those readings were before the offering of the Lamb. And then once that was over, the offering of the Lamb would begin. It would be followed by the Liturgy of the Faithful. So in order to understand the offering of the Lamb, we must understand it in first in its proper context. So the words that the, that the deacon exclaims or proclaims in the liturgy the response is greet one another with a holy ki- with a holy kiss that indicated the beginning of the greetings the appropriate aspasmos was then chanted the believers in the catechumens were to greet one another and the deacon would say yes lord jesus christ the son of god hear us and have mercy on us and that would indicate a kind of a silence so we can see here that the that the response that we have is is a is an amalgamation of all the separate responses that took place but they were initially one by one after he says that response, once the greetings are finished and the catechumens are dismissed, the proper rite of the offering would begin, and the deacon would say, offer an order, so that the people would begin to offer their gifts. And this wasn't the time that they would offer the oblations, or the lamb, the, the, the bread that would be chosen as the lamb, because that was actually, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but that was actually not offered at that time. They would offer various things, candles, or maybe some bread or wine for a different liturgy but that was it wasn't particularly for the liturgy of the day because the lamb selection is something that was also different added later so they would offer things and it's important to understand that the canons of the church the early canons of the church of the the, of the apostles mentioned that no one can, can partake of the eucharist without first offering something even if a person would be poor he or she must offer at least like a cup of wine a cup of water or something, something small, which would then be added to a shared basin, for example. If it's water, it would be added to a shared water basin, which the believers would drink from after receiving the Eucharist. So, understandably, after the offering of the gifts would occur, there would be a lot of movement, there would be a lot of noise and, and commotion in the church. So that's when the deacon would, would exclaim and say, stand with trembling, or stand reverently, let us attend. So, that's where that response fits in the grand scheme of things. So we can see that the offering of the Lamb had its place very clearly after the Liturgy of the Word. But we'll take a look at the offering of the Lamb, the rite that we have today. So 
today, if you were to go on Coptic Reader, for example, and take a look, you would see the beginning of the hymn of joy. Now, that isn't always the case. Usually, the introductory hymn of the offering of the Lamb is the hymn of blessing, which is the following hymn. But the hymn of joy is occurring to a current, right? Is is chanted during the festive days. And it, 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 it should, or essentially it would begin with a procession from the back of the church all the way to the front with the the gifts. As we see during the, the nighttime liturgies, the evening liturgies of the resurrection and Christmas and, and the Epiphany. So we can see very clearly here that the beginning of the offering of the Lamb is the response or the chant of the hymn of blessing. And the hymn of blessing, the, the words are, We worship the Father of light and His only begotten Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, the Trinity, one in essence. So there's clearly, we're going to notice it even more as we study the rest of the liturgy, but we're going to, we, we can clearly see that the beginning of any portion of the liturgy begins by a congregational response. That's a key feature that we see occurring in many of the uh, different sections of the liturgy. So in order to tell when the original or the initial part of the of that part of the liturgy began, you're going to have to look for congregation response. So just a couple notes on the hymn of joy. It's a very beautiful hymn and the melody in which it's chanted, uh, the hymn of Eporo, the melody in which it's chanted, is very, or said to be very ancient a very ancient Egyptian hymn. Some people believe that it's as ancient as the pharaohs and the melody, not the words, the melody were used in in the sacred embalming rituals of uh, of mummification. And we still have that today. And there's many, there are many examples of ancient Egyptian, like pharaonic traditions that have been incorporated and, and, and adapted into the church, which is very normal, very organic incorporation of these these i guess these these hits or these um these older customs and traditions incorporating them into the new church because the church has always been very flexible and very adapting to the customs of the people in terms of tradition the 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 the, the, the songs and melodies and so on but certainly not for the doctrine and we're going to get into talking about how the church accommodates or not accommodates that, that that's a different topic outside of the liturgy but just to understand that this is the organic growth of the church of egypt at least so that, that's the hymn that's chanted during the procession inside towards the, the the sanctuary towards the altar to offer the the lamb the the offering of the lamb itself as we have is a purely alexandrian text this the, the idea of the offering of the lamb exists in many churches and it's 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 not we, we see it in the byzantine church for example it's not something that's purely coptic orthodox in it in, in respect to that but the way that we have the offering of the lamb is 100% purely Alexandrian in text. And we can see that even when looking at the three liturgies, for example, Liturgy of St. Basil and St. Cyril and St. Gregory, all of the offering of the lambs are exactly the same because there's one text. There's there's one Alexandrian text of the offering of the lamb. If you look at any of those liturgies, they're they're different in only when it comes to the part, the liturgy of the faithful, the anaphora. That's why it's called the anaphora of Saint Cyril, the anaphora of Saint Basil, the anaphora of Saint Gregory. It's more appropriate to call it the anaphora than the liturgy because uh, it's just a part of the liturgy. But the offering of the lamb, or some in the Latin Church, for example, they call it the prothesis, is is, is purely Alexandrian in rite. And if you want to read more about the offering of the lamb, 
there's um, a modern day liturgical scholar. He's he's he's, he's very good. Uh, I've taken a few courses with him. He explains things very well. His name is Ramiz Mikhail. If you find any articles of his or anything like that, definitely worth the read. He talks about various subjects, but specifically he talks about the offering of the lamb or the prothesis. And he's very scholarly in the way he writes and, and what he talks about. So if you get a chance to come across anything by uh, Dr. Ramiz Mikhail, give it a look because it's it's truly wonderful and he's, uh, he's a great writer. In any case, the offering of the lamb used to be carried from the north side of the sanctuary to the center up until the 10th century. So the, so the north side would be, if you're facing the altar or the sanctuary, it would be the left side. So there was the preparation and the, the basically getting ready of all of the gifts on the, on the left side, if you're facing the sanctuary. And then there would be a procession towards the actual altar that would be prayed on. And we can see that today with the procession of when the deacon says pray for these holy and precious gifts, the deacon go around the altar in a circle. And that's because the procession would essentially go in that direction. It wasn't up until the 10th century in which this in which things began to change. Up until today, the pra this, pra this practice of preparing everything on the north side or on the left side of the sanctuary is still practiced among the Byzantine churches. But in the Coptic church, the bread was selected then and then offered to the priest. So there was no right of selection and no need of a, of a plate or any of the big baskets to carry various different loaves of bread for to offer to the priest that one of them would become the lamb it, this the selection was more of a private thing that occurred on the side on the left side of the sanctuary after the 10th century though the offering was carried in a plate uh, in the basket that we see from the from the back of the church all the way to the front of the church in the offering plate which is the same thing as what we see on those big great feasts in which there's a procession from the back of the the church to the front to the towards the altar with the priests and the deacons carrying candles and singing and chanting hymns so that that practice that we see although it is the older one is the the older practice it is not the oldest practice and we can see that preserved for us in those evening liturgies that we that we have so we'll go through the various parts of the offering of the lamb we already talked about the agbeya and its proper place in the liturgy so if you like, go listen to that that episode. It's, it's quite a good summary of of what we have to discuss about the the Ekbeya use in the liturgy. And we stumble upon the first prayer, which is prayed inaudibly now, which is the prayer of preparation. So I'll read the, the comment, and then I'll read the actual prayer, because it's prayed inaudibly. So throughout the this entire study that we have, we'll, we'll read the prayers that are inaudible, because uh, most of them are worth noting and worth highlighting and any any relevant comments so the prayer it's called the prayer of preparation after this as referring to the Agbeya prayer the priest kisses the hands of his brethren the priest and asks them to absolve him and to pray on his behalf then he ascends to the altar and the deacons ascend and stand before him and the priest places the vessels before him and signs them three times in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit blessed be god the father and so on he then takes out the vessels and prepares the altar while saying the prayer of preparation inaudibly so just we'll comment on this point over here the bag full of the different handkerchiefs and, and the vessels when we when it's tied up it's tied up with many of the deacons may know this but if you don't serve the altar if you don't serve in the sanctuary or if you're not able to see all what all what's going on essentially everything is placed in a in a larger cloth larger linen and the two opposing corners are brought together and they're tied in a knot 
twice, and the two remaining corners are also then brought together, tied in a knot twice. Then the cross is placed on top of it, and it's tied in a knot once more. And this has some reasoning for for the way it's done today. I'm not quite sure the historicity of this, the way this is prepared, but the reason that we basically, as the priest is undoing all of the knots, he signs. There's five knots that we've that we've noted, right? Two, and then the three after, and the cross is in the middle of the last two. So the priest signs himself with the sign of the cross, and then he takes out the cross. Then he does the sign of the cross on the all of the vessels once, and then he says, "Blessed be the God the Father, blessed be His Son, His only begotten Son, and blessed be the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete." And then now the the bag is open and then that's when the priest begins to clean the altar itself and and wipe it down and make sure it's clean and then starts to lay out and starts to arrange the handkerchiefs in a way or the lefayf in a way that is uh, fitting for the altar so the following prayer the prayer of preparation is attributed to patriarch severus of antioch and there are many things that we've adopted from the antiochian tradition and we'll talk about that next episode but this uh, this is one of the prayers that are attributed to him. And I'll read it and it goes, O Lord who knows the hearts of all and who is holy and who rests in his saints, who alone is without sin and who has power to forgive sin. You, O Lord, know my unworthiness and unpreparedness and my lack of meetness for this your holy service. And I do not have the countenance to draw near and open my mouth before your holy glory. But according to the multitude of your tender mercies, pardon me, a sinner, and grant to me that I may find grace and mercy at this hour and send down to me from on high, that I may begin and make ready and accomplish your holy service after your pleasure, according to the ascent of your will for a sweet savor of incense. Yahweh, our master, be with us. Be a partner, working with us. Bless us, for you are the forgiver of our sins, the light of our souls, our life, our strength, and our boldness. Unto you we send up glory, honor, and worship, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and all times, unto the age of all ages. Amen. Following that prayer, there's the prayer after the preparation, which is the prayer that is prayed after the, the priest is done laying out the altar, laying out all the vessels on the altar. He prays, O Lord, you have taught us this great mystery of salvation. You have called us, your lowly and unworthy servants, to be servants of your holy altar. O our Master, you make us worthy in the power of your Holy Spirit to accomplish this service so that without falling into condemnation, before your great glory, we may bring to you a sacrifice of praise, glory, and great beauty in your sanctuary. O God, you who gives grace who sends forth salvation who works all in all grant us o lord that our sacrifice may be accepted before you for my own sins and for the ignorance of your people for behold it is pure according to the gift of your holy spirit in christ jesus our lord through whom the glory the honor and dominion the worship are due unto you with him and the holy spirit the giver of life who is one essence with you now at all times and to age of all ages amen after this the priest begins to wash his hands and god willing next episode will begin to talk about the washing of the hands and the procession of the lamb. Freely I received, freely I give. Have a blessed day until next time. God is with you and Christ is risen. Mm-hmm.